podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Fiorentina preview episode, and it's brought to you by Betstamp, the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. I'm joined by a guest to help me with this preview. He is a regular contributor to FootballItalia.net and the host of the excellent Rigore podcast, Giancarlo Rinaldi. Welcome back. It's a pleasure to be back. You know, we have a lot to chat about. Two very interesting clubs uh, in an early stage of the season. Two very busy clubs. (laughs) We were just chatting offline about Napoli's midweek friendly match, which is not something you see too often just after the start of the campaign, Fiorentina have been very busy with the Conference League qualifying matches. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about the match. But I want to begin with the changes at Fiorentina that have happened over the summer. I would say, I mean, my perspective is a little tinged because Napoli have been so busy that Fiorentina's seemingly or comparatively have not been as busy but I would say maybe there's been uh, you know a healthy amount of change at Fiorentina so why don't we start from the back and work our way towards the front in goal you brought in Pierluigi Golini I believe on a season-long loan from uh, Atalanta and sold Bartolome Drangovski to Spezia do you view that as an upgrade in goal? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's hard to say because Drongovsky was very highly rated and I I think he is a good shot stopper. It was just uh, he possibly didn't fit with the way that Italiano wants to play their coach. So he likes a goalkeeper that I think that's more confident with his feet. And that was, you know, that was definitely there were a few disasters for Drongovsky last season. Just not always his fault, but sometimes his fault. There was the odd one just where he committed, he got a red card, he came out for crosses when he shouldn't have come. And, you know, just that kind of understanding that you need between a goalkeeper and his defence never developed. And, you know, as I say, Italiano likes a team that plays it out from the back. Terracciano was a bit more confident in that regard. And I think Golini, you know, he's obviously got experience playing outside of Italy as well. So, you know, that counts in his favour and it's a return for him, he was on Fiorentina's books a long time ago when he was a a little boy and he's kind of travelled the world to come home as it were so I think it is a I hope it is a trade up, I mean early evidence is kind of mixed in that regard, he's had his good and bad moments and and Fiorentina seem to be still alternating between him and Terracciano but I think maybe that you know there's a more healthy competition there where where Drongovsky, unfortunately for him, just dropped off the radar really for through the season. And it's good, I think, if, if he can get game time, which is what you need when you're a young goalkeeper. I mean, the, the good thing for him is he's still relatively young and he could still have a great career ahead of him. 
But hopefully Golini's going to slot in and and just give a bit more solidity at the back to a defence that you know has had its uh, highs and lows, shall we say, over over the years. The subject of goalkeepers playing with their feet is definitely nothing new to Napoli fans. I mean, with all the transfers we've made, there's still one that's seemingly on the verge of being completed, which is to bring Navas over from PSG to replace Alex Meret. And the, the big criticism of Meret has always been that he's also not good with his feet. It was Gattuso that first said it publicly and that kind of stuck in people's minds. Drangovsky seemed like a really promising young keeper a few seasons ago, but it's gone off the rails a little bit. He seemed to, you know, he missed a little bit of time or a fair bit of time actually last season due to injury. And that gave Terracciano the opportunity to take over as the number one. And I thought he performed quite well. I mean, I think it was 10 clean sheets in all competitions, about 1.3 goals per game, which was better than Drangovsky in the previous two seasons. Meanwhile, like you said, Golini's been around, but he didn't actually play a whole lot at Tottenham last season. So, you know, were you surprised that Terracciano wasn't given the opportunity to be the number one? Or do you think, as you kind of alluded, that he kind of has the opportunity and now we'll see who who earns it? It's a funny thing, goalkeeping, but I, just, I think Terracciano is maybe not that sexy an option for Fiorentina. He's, just, he's seen as a, a number two goalkeeper. You know, that's the kind of level... He's at, I mean, it's just like we had, for a long time, we had Rosati as third goalkeeper. He's now gone into the coaching side of things, you know. Then people tend to find their level. And I think the perception of Terracciano was that he was going to be the sort of eternal, decent second goalkeeper that every club needs, you know. And I think it's like, I bet goalkeeping, I think, is a bit like a sort of Formula One team. Do you want two number ones or do you want a clear one and two? And people have different views on that. I mean, I personally think that certainly in Formula One, I think it helps to have just a leader and a, and a second place man kind of who'll do everything to help. In goalkeepers as well, I think that probably that, that hierarchy is easier if it's clear, but if you've got two great goalkeepers, say like, you know, you mentioned you know Navas and, and with him with Donnarumma, if you've got two good goalkeepers competing for the same spot or whatever, you know, then that can, you, you, you can find that that's difficult. So I think the idea, I think, is that Golini will be the number one and Terracciano second, but, but Terracciano's already shown that he can upset that apple cart. And, you know, if Golini doesn't perform as expected, then Fiorentina now know they've got a very solid replacement there. And so, as you see, he did put in some great performances last season and they kind of belied his reputation really as being a, a sort of second choice. You know, he emerged as a solid first choice. So, you know, as with all these things, as the season progresses, the, the story will be told. And, you know, if Colini made, I mean, he had a bit of a clangor in his first game with Cremonese when he was beaten almost directly from a corner or certainly was tapped in after the corner. So misjudgments like that could end up costing him his place and Terra Channel might yet sneak in. But I think just... The glamour, as you say, didn't play a lot of games in the Premier League, but just the same, the glamour and the reputation of the Premier League would make you believe that Colini should be a better option. And so, as I say, and certainly in Florence, they'll be hoping that is the case. Yeah, there's pros and cons for sure. I mean, with the whole Meretto Spina situation, what we learned is that, you know, in some cases, you could shatter the confidence of one of the two players, which is obviously a, a negative. 
But on the other hand, it's great when one or the other picks up a knock because you have effectively a 1B waiting in the wings that, that can step in and you don't really lose anything. Let's move on to the defense. I guess you can say your big money purchase this summer was Brazilian right back Dodo. I think it was about 14 and a half million euros from Shakhtar Donetsk. I confess I don't watch a whole lot of Ukrainian football, but what can you tell us about the young defender? Well, I mean, I think the thing is, I, I don't watch a lot of Ukrainian football either, but I have seen Shakhtar a few times and, you know, they've got a great Brazilian colony almost in that team and he was part of that. So they're a great team, especially to watch on the counter-attack, real, real pace. And, you know, he's part of that. So a, a limited study of him so far because he's, he's not featured in every game um, and he's certainly not started, but when he's come on, He's looked like a an attacking weapon, which is something Fiorentina haven't had right back for quite a while. And so Odrio Zola did a, a decent job last season as well. But, you know, I think that he looks like a pretty decent signing for them. And it has been a, it's been a problem position for Fiorentina for quite a while. So the fact that they've spent the money, they want to make him a success. And again, you know, that that is an area where, the team looks to drive forward with both fullbacks, you know, Biragi down the other side as well, is always looking to get good crosses in. I think Dodo is a bit more likely to cut in and shoot, maybe, or, you know, more likely to play the ball in rather than deliver those crosses. It doesn't seem to be that kind of player. More likely to play the ball into feet, maybe, from the wing, but definitely looks a, a solid addition. And as I say, it was, I think you like, a, anybody likes a transfer market if their club tries to address areas where it's got an issue. And that was an area where Fiorentina had an issue. They've tried to address it. It may or may not prove to be the right solution, but I think at least there seems to have been some method to their transfer strategy, which is not always the case at Fiorentina, and it's not always the case at many clubs, you know, where you see people sort of just throwing money at the problem without particularly, you know, looking at, at where they actually need players. But I think that was the thing that's pleased me this summer more than anything else, is that Fiorentina appeared to have looked at where they needed to strengthen and tried to strengthen in those positions and give themselves a squad that can hopefully, if results go their way, compete on on two fronts in, in, in Italy and in Europe. Yeah, it definitely seems like Fiorentina are taking a very thoughtful approach to the Mercato and converting from Iacchini's 3-5-2 to Italiano's 4-3-3. I mean, we'll get to the midfielders in a little bit, but... You know, there was, I think, two defensive midfielders out, only one in, but that's because in a 3-5-2, you already have an abundance of midfielders, so you don't necessarily need to bring in like-for-like replacements for everyone. At right back, you still have a good amount of depth there. You have Lorenzo Venuti, who was the regular starter for, this, let's say, the second half of last season. Odriozola, who you mentioned, returned to Real Madrid at the end of his loan. But if needed, I mean, we saw Marco Benassi play at right back in the, the first match against Cremonese. So it looks like you're you're well covered there. At center back, it seemed for a while like Nikola Milenkovic was going to be heading out. He was linked to a number of clubs, big clubs, Inter, Juve, even Napoli. Is he going to stay at Fiorentina or do you think there's still a chance he could go before the end of the window? Well, I don't think so. He signed a new contract to take him to, I think, to 2027. It's a big contract. So, you know, we take a big money deal now to take him away. I think there was there was a lot of chat that he would be moving on. And there has been for a few summers now because he looks, he looks ideal for 
Premier League looks like his thing. He is that kind of rugged, strong guy that you know in the in the Vidic style, if you want, that could sell. And it's still prone to the odd mistake. But then you know, I think every player really is. You know, I don't think he can ever eliminate that. That's being human is to make mistakes. So, but overall, a very strong player. But no, I think that's looks like he was convinced by Italiano's project and then Comiso's project in Florence signed a big long deal as I say and if nothing else that'll mean that Fiorentina will get big money for him if he does move on but I think it looks like his future's committed for a while to Fiorentina which is quite refreshing really because it tends to be that anybody that the story at Fiorentina is say Fiorentina sign player, player does well, player signs for Juventus. That's usually the career path for Fiorentina's stars. But hopefully, as I say, he's going to stay put for a while because alongside Igor, that really proved to be quite a strong defensive tandem for, for Fiorentina last season. We haven't seen it this season because Igor's been out injured, but I think he's back now. So, you know, I'd suspect that in Italiano's head, although he chops and changes a lot, those will be his first choice central defenders going forward. That's a solid centre-back pairing. I mean, we remember playing against Igor last season and he was he was very impressive. It is it is a good thing for sure that he's extended his contract. It means you're right. If he is sold, Fiorentina will cash in and Especially at that position, it seems like at the moment there's a limited supply of quality center backs out there on the market. So hopefully, uh, hopefully he stays for the for the sake of Fiorentina and Serie A as a whole. But it sounds like it's kind of a win win situation for Fiorentina at this point. Let's move on to the midfield, which I I just mentioned a moment ago. The Lucas Torreira deal kind of fell apart. There was an option to purchase him for around 15 million euros, I believe it was from Arsenal. And then Fiorentina chose not to exercise that option, which I'm still scratching my head about a little bit. How big of a loss is Torreira to that midfield? It is a huge loss. I mean, last season he was arguably Fiorentina's best player. And, and again, you know, what I was saying about addressing a need, he was a player who gave Fiorentina something that they hadn't had for a while. And that was somebody who had the ability to control a game, kill a game from from midfield, win the ball, give the ball. He didn't do anything fancy, although he did score quite a lot of goals last season. I think it was his probably record goal-scoring season, I think five or six goals, you know. So, um, you know, he chipped in there as well. Fiorentina fans certainly weren't pleased that, you know, it appeared that the deal was done. It appeared the deal was there, it had been agreed, and then it all went sour. What went on... We may never know, you know, there's one of these things where behind the scenes there was claim and, and counterclaim. Certainly Torreira made no secret that he wanted to stay in Florence. He was very happy in Florence. And, you know, I think he posted various things afterwards and Fiorentina kit and, and you know, would have, would have liked to stay. Whether there was, you know, financial demands. that, But as I say, it didn't appear that way because it sounded like the deal had already been agreed and it, it was as if Fiorentina, just, you know, maybe it's a, a little too expensive. I don't know. So that was disappointing. That, that was, a, you know, you felt that they'd finally found a solution to a problem they had and they, and they threw it away because, you know, they've tried. Sofian Amrabat in that kind of position in front of the defence, but it's a very different prospect. I mean, he has grown on me as a player. The Verona fans obviously thought a lot of him, and you know he had the reputation of never 
putting a pass astray when he was at Hellas, but when he came to Fiorentina, that reputation did not continue. However, to be fair to him, he did adapt to the role towards the end of last season, and he has kind of grown into it this season as well. And I think the acquisition of Mandragora as well has kind of softened the blow. I've been quite impressed early phases anyway with his performances. And, you know, that might, always with these things, you know, if results go badly, we should have had Torreira. If results go well, who's Torreira? You know, that's the, the nature of football fans. So, but, you know, certainly I was disappointed as a Fiorentina supporter that they couldn't come to a deal for what was relatively small money in, in the modern game to keep a player who helped to transform Fiorentina's style of play. Yeah, I like Mandragora as, you know, as long as he can stay healthy. I think that's the big question because he's had some pretty serious injuries uh, for someone so young as he is. I think he's mid-20s. I agree. Something must have happened behind closed doors between Arsenal and Fiorentina because the price that Torreira ended up going to Galatasaray for seems like a very affordable price and probably something Fiorentina would have been willing to pay. So I don't know if that was a bit of a, a slap in the face afterwards. Who knows? You know, if you told someone in December of last year that Torreira and Dries Mertens would be teammates in Turkey at the start of the 22-23 season, I think they'd probably tell you you've lost your mind. But, you know, here we are. <laughs> um, another transfer I thought that was a little bit odd to me was Eric Pulgar's move to Flamengo. I mean, typically players make that move back to South America and when they're sort of in the twilight of their career, not when they're in their prime. Do you know what happened there? I don't know what drew him back there. I mean, I know that he just was not in favour at Fiorentina. I think just the wrong type of player for how Vitaliano likes to play. He was a nice enough footballer. I'd quite like watching him. But I think perhaps wasn't... I don't know, enterprise and attacking enough for what Fiorentina needed under Italiano. And so, you know, I, I could see certainly that he was becoming, I mean, you mentioned earlier about having a sort of a, a bit of a surfeit of midfielders. You could see he was becoming sort of fifth or sixth choice midfielder. If you get Castrovilli back, he would be even further down the pecking order. So I think it was just a case of, wanting to get football, really, you know, I mean, footballers do like, well, they like to get paid, but they also like to play, um, you know, and I, I, I think that, that that might be, I don't know if there were other personal reasons for wanting to go back to South America, I don't know that, but I, I do know, as I say, that I think his playing time in Florence would have been very limited if he had stayed. It already was, I mean, he did have injuries, he did have other, but, you know, it, it was pretty clear, I think the writer was on the wall that he didn't have much of a place in the way Vincenzo Italiano was wanting to play football. Yeah, it seems like, uh, speaking of all these midfielders, Yusuf Mali seems to be uh, playing a more prominent role this season. So yeah, I guess there wasn't a whole lot of room for them. And if you could get something, you might as well. The big summer signing for Fiorentina was Luka Jovic, who joined from Real Madrid on a Bosman. Giancarlo, with a player of that pedigree, I imagine you're probably not missing Christoph Piontek and his pistols too much. Uh, no, no. I mean, uh, Piontek came in and had an immediate effect, so that was that was great. But I think longer term, you know, he does what it says on the tin, you know. So, you know, you'll get a decent contribution of goals. 
over a season he'll he'll make a, a reasonable contribution. But no, I mean to get somebody like Jovic, it's a bit of a roll of the dice. It's a bit of a gamble, I guess, because after kind of bursting onto the scene, the goals have not come as easily. So you know, but nonetheless, you've got to think with the pedigree he's got. The way he took his goal against Cremonese, I mean, it looked like. A, a man playing against boys, or you know, when you know when you get somebody playing five aside who actually knows how to play, and he's coming to play against your works team, it was a bit like that. He just sort of he just hesitated a moment, and that was enough to throw off the whole Cremonese defence and and tap the ball home. So you know that looks good, and you know what we were saying earlier about competition of goalkeepers. I guess we got competition of strikers now because we did fork out for Artur Cabral midway through last season as well you know they still have high hopes for him so that's going to be an interesting one for uh, Italiano to solve because I don't think he'll ever play or he'll regularly play the two together so it it does mean that you know they're going to be constantly kind of viral you could see the other uh, the weekend when Jovic came off he wasn't best pleased at coming off to be replaced by Cabral but I mean I think that's probably a, a healthy thing a good rivalry Cabral has a great record in Europe, you know, he's a funny player sometimes, maybe he's, that's just his thing, so, you know, we certainly be hoping against 20 he can find the net again, but Jovic certainly has an exciting acquisition, looks like somebody who can hold the ball up well, link in with the, the midfield, you know, we've got a lot of good attacking options in midfield and if he can bring them into play, then that's really going to be quite an exciting attacking line and I think, you know, if you think of Jovic with the service and one side from Nico Gonzalez, the other from Icone or Sotil or whoever, you know, quite a lot of attacking options there that could be quite exciting. For me, I'm always happy when I see players coming off upset because it means they care, right? The last thing I want to see is a, a player who's perfectly fine coming off the pitch. So I think that's a good thing. And, you know, we mentioned the conference league. Hopefully you can make a deep run in that tournament. And then, you know, there'll be plenty of minutes for everyone between the two competitions Jovic had actually been linked to Napoli for years but for whatever reason they couldn't get a deal done and who knows if those you know if there was any truth to those rumors uh, in the first place before we close part one do you think Fiorentina will do any other business before the end of the Mercato I think it's it's quite possible they've been heavily linked with Antonin Barak from Verona and he seems to be out of favor at Verona very in favor in Florence so and he would give a extra bite to the midfield. I saw, you know, what I saw of him last season, he looked a very complete, very well-rounded midfielder. So, you know, especially, I think, waiting for Castrovilli to come back, which, you know, still going to take some time. They do need a, a bit more depth to the squad. And I think also <laughs> it could be heavily dependent on whether they progress in Europe as well. Because, you know, if they do that, then, I mean, you'll know better than me. Napoli's had many more... European campaigns recently than Fiorentina have, that it does take its toll on players and you do need choice and you do need to be able to freshen things up and especially this season with the, I'll try not to weep as I mentioned the World Cup as an Italy fan, but you know with the World Cup kind of concertina and everything, you are going to need uh, I think more players, you're going to need bigger squads to cope with the kind of the compacted demands on players, so yeah that's certainly the one that I've seen most persistently rumoured for Fiorentina and it's a deal that seems to make sense for everyone involved Yeah, you mentioned how Fiorentina will accept pretty much any offer that comes along 
we spoke to Rick Hoff to preview our, our week one match against Hellas Verona. And <laughs> he basically described it as Hellas Verona are practically giving discounts to give their players away. And I feel for Hellas Verona fans because at the moment their their squad's been decimated a little bit. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about Fiorentina's start to the season and we'll take a closer look at this match. Welcome to part two of the Fortunopoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetStamp. With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sports books in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts, and best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Fiorentina's start to the season. You've played two games in Serie A so far, and they really could not have gone any differently. (laughs) I mean, and then sandwiched between those two matches was the first leg of your Conference League qualifying tie against FC Twente. How are you feeling about Fiorentina's start to the season so far? It's been a mixed bag, as you say. There's been good parts and there's been bad parts. The opening game with Cremonese... Fiorentina were clearly the better team, but as always, or as often happens with Fiorentina, they almost contrived not to win the game, and they really had to rely on a Radu Howler, in which it appears you can rely on, to win the game. So it wasn't an entirely convincing performance, but you know, I mentioned earlier the Jovic goal. I thought it was, you know, there was enough good elements in that to say this is encouraging. And it's always important to start your season with a win. The next league game, as you mentioned, couldn't have been much more different. It was a really dreary draw with Empoli in the Tuscan derby. And it, I said on the Rigori podcast, the most exciting thing was that the referee got injured and had to go off and it added 10 minutes onto the game. They played something like 11 minutes of injury time in, in that one. And despite... Empoli going down to 10 men with Luperto seeing red, which I think he does in every Tuscan derby. They couldn't find a way through. Empoli were very organised. Fiorentina, I think, with one eye on the, the Conference League, had made a lot of changes and it didn't work. I mean, I think that's the honest assessment that it wasn't great. And, you know, by chopping and changing, it didn't produce the result that they wanted. But however, you know, a draw is not a disaster. And sandwiched in between that, there was the 20 game, which I'd say for an hour was brilliant. Fiorentina, especially in the first half, bossed that game. And I didn't necessarily expect them to because Italian clubs often moan and groan about the preparation of other teams and other teams being physically ahead of them. Well, Fiorentina looked great. You know, got 2 0 up and really could have had more. You know, they were Sotil in particular had an out. He's had a great start to the season, by the way, but he really tortured his fullback and it looked like they were going to have a convincing lead. But again, here's a familiar story that you'll probably hear many times throughout the season. They, they, I mean, at 20 credit to them, they came back, they made changes, came back into the game. But you know, nonetheless, you felt Fiorentina were a bit architects of their own downfall, conceded a goal might have conceded more. And so, you know, it's all to play for as as we record this. It's um, you know, the the games the games tomorrow night, it's all in the balance at two one, you know, I mean the only good thing from Fiorentina's point of view is that the away goals rule doesn't exist anymore. So that goal advantage is is a goal advantage. 
but I fully expect it to be a very tough game for them. So mixed bag start to the season. So Teal's form, magnificent. That's been a really pleasant thing. Icone remains a bit of a mystery to most Fiorentina fans, I think. You know, he was signed with a great reputation. He looks like a player would be great on the counter-attack, but the trouble is that Fiorentina don't really play that way. They look to try and impose their game on an opponent. And so, you know, I don't quite know how he how he fits in. And at the back, we're still prone to the odd blackout as well, which, you know, may be down, well, will be down to some new players and also perhaps not having the, the Igor uh, Milenkovic partnership that was so sort of solid and tried and tested last season. So it's had its good moments, it's had its bad moments, but it's, it's early in the season. And as I say, you know, you've got to, uh, as you know, you've got to give your players time to to settle in and to gel and to, you know, the new faces to get used to the playing system. So, um, you know, I'd say more positive than negative so far, but definitely, definitely a mixed bag. Yeah, so the Cremonese game had a little bit of everything. There were plenty of goals, including Luka Jovic's first, as you mentioned. There was a red card, some late drama. Technically, that was Mandragora's first <laughs> for Fiorentina as well. But as you said, Radu made a, a bit of a mess or an absolute mess of that cross. Cremonese gave Roma a bit of a hard time in the second round. So despite two losses, they actually look like a pretty decent side. And they might be able to steal some points from uh, some of the bigger clubs this season. The Empoli game was far less exciting, as you said. The uh, the official getting the rare you know official injury was a bit of a highlight of the match. I, I counted sort of one good chance from each side in the first half. Icone at one side and uh, Destro at the other. Sebastiano Luperto, former Napoli player, was sent off in the second half. So Fiorentina did apply a good amount of pressure in the final quarter of that match, but couldn't find that winning goal. So. A win and a draw from two matches is, you know, a decent start considering the opponents and considering that you did play that midweek uh, match against FC Twente. As you said, we're recording this on Wednesday, so the return leg will be played tomorrow. We don't know the outcome there. I was looking at the squads that Italiano played through these first three matches, and it seems like he is managing the squad quite well. I think Yusuf Male and Nikola Milankovic were the only players who started all three matches. But are you concerned with the number of fixtures at the start of the season? Well, in a way, no, because, you know, we've spent five years crying out for European football, so you can't really say, please, please, let us get back into Europe and then complain about the number of games you have to play. You know, that's it's a difficulty that we'd like to get used to, I guess. So that's not really... I mean, it's a shame that, yeah, that... You know, the way it's worked out that these, these games have kind of come sandwiched between the first three rounds of, of Serie A. That certainly, you know, is a disadvantage, I suppose, to our league rivals. But, you know, certainly on those first two games, with the greatest of respect to Cremonese and Empoli, Fiorentina should be able to cope with playing two games and still be able to get results against these teams, which, you know, they, they, they did, they got a result. They didn't lose. So, from that point of view, I, th- I think, you know, that you like to be busy, really. So, you know, as I say, the only downside is that no other teams are in Europe yet for Italy. So, you know, they're, we're the only ones kind of having to go through this. So it does feel like a, a bit of a disadvantage initially. But, you know, the, the squad's been bolstered a bit. And as you see, he's, he's certainly shuffled the pack. You know, I, I usually get my son 
gets the official lineups through and he tries to test me on naming them. And I, I don't think, I mean, I think I'll be lucky if I've managed four out of 11 in every game because um, he certainly, he keeps you guessing. I mean, I don't think many of us had Benassi right back and Kuami right wing for the opener and yet they proved to be pretty good selections, you know, so he, he keeps you on your toes. But I think I bet that's been through necessity at the start of the season that, you know, they've got so many games that you need to keep fresh. And it's no surprise to me when you see that Mali and Milenkovic are the only two to have started. I mean, they're two of the most physically fit, I think, members of the squad. So, you know, that's perhaps not surprising that they would be the only constants in these opening fixtures. Well, if this were baseball, four out of 11 would be one of the best ever. So that's not too bad. (laughs) You know, there's a bit of an anomaly at the moment with Italian clubs and European competitions, I find, where... You know, for financial reasons, especially every club is desperate to qualify for a European competition. And then when we get there, it's almost beneficial to exit the competition as quickly as possible because we just don't have the squad depth. And each of the last two Scudetto winners were eliminated in the group stage of the Champions League. In fact, both of them finished in the bottom of their table, so they didn't even play in the Europa League. And I'm a little bit guilty of this myself, especially with Napoli playing in the Europa League over the last two seasons, which I appreciate. I'm a little bit spoiled that, you know, we've had so much European football that I can kind of turn my nose a little bit at the Europa League, which I actually think is a much better competition now that we also have the Conference League. But not that I ever want Napoli to lose, but at the same time, when we had legitimate chances of competing for the Scudetto, I definitely didn't feel too upset about being eliminated because it meant we could focus on Serie A. But in any event, I do hope that Fiorentina qualifies for the Conference League for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's generally good for Italian football that we have as many teams playing in Europe as possible. Even if we do get knocked out early, that's fine. And two, I don't need angry Fiorentina players looking to redeem themselves (laughs) against Napoli on Sunday. Uh, So before we get to our probable formations, uh, I'm wondering if you know anything about the restrictions on visiting fans. Uh, From what I understand... The away section can hold about 2,400 people, but only half of those seats have been made available. And on top of that, and this I'm getting this from like a random Facebook video, so don't quote me on this, but uh, I'm told that the visiting fans are being told to hire their own security as well. Have you heard anything about this story? Oh, I've not heard about hire your own <laughs> okay. security, that part. I hadn't heard. I've, I've seen that, yeah, the number of tickets being sold is being limited to half the, the capacity. There's not been anything official from Fiorentina to explain why that is that that I've seen. Um, this, the suggestion seemed to be that there's, I don't say bad blood between the two sets of supporters, but there's been issues between the sets of supporters. And so in order to maintain crowd control or whatever, that's the thinking behind it. It's obviously disappointing because, you know, Napoli flying high, I mean, I would imagine that they could have sold out that allocation four or five times over. Um, and, I, you know, to me, that's a shame. We get, we get a lot of this in Scotland with the old firm game with Rangers against Celtic, where they only let the visiting fans have a tiny ticket allocation. And to me, that spoils football because although it's painful when you're watching your home team and you see the away fans celebrating, it's unreal. It's, it doesn't feel right for somebody to score a goal in stony silence, you know, so not that, I mean, uh, let's be honest, 
you'll know better than me, 1,200 Napoli fans will make the noise of about 10,000 normal people. So, you know, that's not going to be an issue um, in terms of the support, in terms of the vocal support. But I do, I do think it's disappointing. As I say, I don't know all the reasons behind it. I mean, it's we know that that little corner that Fiorentina give over to away fans, it's not, it's not the greatest. But as I say, it feels a shame that, you know, there's a sort of tide of enthusiasm. Italian football needs it needs crowds it needs people through the gate why why limit the the numbers you know it, it it seems a shame we're coming out of covid we're getting crowds back you know we want to make our product as attractive as possible why would you put a cap on it as i say there may be official reasons for it i haven't seen them i know going back to the 2014 coppa italia final when you know bizarrely it wasn't even an issue between fiorentina and napoli really it was in rome and it was i think it was roma fans that were involved but there was obviously you know there was an issue there the napoli head of the ultras you know appeared to kind of decide when the game could kick off as far as as far as Fiorentina fans could see and you know and so that there was friction no doubt that you know it was badly handled whatever side the fence you're on I think we can agree that you know it wasn't handled great and you know so there still is a bit of animosity as there is between most sets of fans in Italy I would say I struggle to think because you know in Italy they have sort of top graded games for kind of fears for public security I, I would be surprised that this was in the very top echelon of it but they, they, they maybe just maybe just running scared of, of Napoli in such form and don't want 2000 is just too much for them to think of I, I, I don't know you know because I see I would think that Napoli could sell that allocation out several times over. I mean, I, I think there'll be a very healthy Fiorentina support there too. You know, I think the early response has been good to this uh, new team, even in, against sort of less illustrious opposition. So, you know, I, I think there'll be, a, there'll be a good crowd there. But, uh, see, part of football is, is rivalry, is banter, is chance back and forward, as long as they're not derogatory to anybody or too derogatory to anybody so it's it's a shame but I didn't know no I, I was not aware of security guards having to be hired to get into Florence but um, you know if you win too convincingly you might need them to get out I guess but that's uh, that as I say not aware of that but it's a shame I never like to see crowd numbers being capped if it can possibly be avoided yeah my best guess was the same thing that perhaps it has something to do with the rivalry between the fans and the ultras in particular can get pretty heated sometimes. It is worth mentioning that Napoli themselves as a club have not issued any statements on it either. So I don't, I don't think they seem too upset about it. And I wonder if that's intentional because we know De Laurentiis does not necessarily get along too well with the ultras. And it's typically the ultras who attend the away matches. Anyhow, let's move to the starting lineups. You mentioned Gaetano Castrovilli will be out for a while. He had uh, knee surgery. You did mention Igor returning soon. Do you think he could possibly get into the starting 11? Yeah, yeah. I see he's in the squad for a 20 game. So, you know, I think he's obviously there or thereabouts. So, you know, I think, I mean, you never want to rush somebody back from an injury, but equally, if Martinez Cuarta hasn't looked impeccable, they played Nastasic as well who looked slow so you know, I, I think they will be keen to get him back, whether 
again, you know, if you're watching 20, you maybe want to see him play that game because I'd be surprised if he could play two full games. Uh, although he is, I mean, he's a beast of a man, right enough, you know. I mean, if anybody could, it would probably be him. But he's there, as I say, maybe if he played the 20 game, he might not start the Napoli game. That would be my my guess. But Or it could be the other way around that they'll go easy, you know, and not use him straight away against 20 and, and have him for the for the Napoli game. That, you know, uh, very hard to second guess Vincenzo Italiano in that in that regard. But certainly, you know, he, he could quite possibly play that game. There's no doubt about that. Okay, so I'm going to do the same thing your son does to you and, and test you, even though, again, we don't know who's going to be playing on Thursday against 20, so that can obviously influence a lot of the decisions, but... Give me your best guess at a starting eleven for uh, Vincenzo Italiano. Hey, well, I mean, I suspect that uh, the goalkeeper one, even even a goalkeeper, I find it hard to guess because you know I have a suspicion that he's going to want to put a really strong team out against twenty. You know, and if I'm saying to you that Golini is his first choice, then I suspect Terracciano will be in goals on at the weekend with Igor and Milenkovic central defence. Possibly Venuti uh, right back, uh, having played Dodo in uh, against 20, I'd say. Biragi certainly left back. I think that's a certainty. I'll say a midfield of, uh, <laughs> I'll go for probably Amrabat, Mali, and Duncan, I think, possibly as, as a midfield. And then again, going with my reverse logic, I think he thinks Cabral's the man for Europe. So Jovic up front with Sotil and possibly Gonzalez at the other wing. So I'd say that would be my best guess at a start in 11, but it's it's very much subject to change because Italiano is a master of confounding any any prediction. And you'll probably find, you know, Dodo will play right wing and, and Terracciano, Terracciano will be up front. You'll have the two goalkeepers in. So, you know, I don't know, but that would be my best guess of a side. And that would be, that would be a strong side that I think would give Napoli a, a decent game. Yeah, and I think a lot can depend on the outcome or like how the 20 match is going, right? You know, if Fiorentina by chance pull away, you know, score two goals in the first half, then Italiano may be able to rest some guys that would be considered regular starters and get them into the starting 11 for the Napoli match. For Napoli, you know, even before our midweek friendly against Juve Stabia, I was fairly confident we would play the same starting 11 that we have in the first two rounds. After watching that friendly, I'm even more sure of it because uh, it's clear to me that the new players need a little bit more time to get up to speed. So I'm expecting a 4-3-3 with Alex Meret in goal, Kim Min Jae and Amir Rachmani at center back, Mario Rui at left back, and Giovanni Di Lorenzo at right back. Stanislav Lobotka in the Regista with Piotr Zelinski to his left and Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa to his right. Kavica Kvaraschelia on the left wing, Chugi Lozano on the right wing, and Victor Osiman at striker. Okay, let's close the pod with some predictions. How do you see this match playing out? I hate to do this because then people come back. Is it? But I think there will be goals. You know, when it's a nil-nil draw, people always come back to you at that. But it just looks like there's too much firepower in both these teams for there to be anything other than goals. I've been very impressed with Napoli so far. And with Fiorentina playing so many games so regularly, that's, this is my sort of excuse for saying that. I think Napoli will edge it 3-2. That would be my my score prediction for the game. I'd be more than delighted with a goal-scoring draw. 
but I just think that coming straight off the back of a, a European game with, with players still sort of settling in and with the firepower that Napoli have got against a defence that's still kind of being worked upon for Fiorentina, I think they might just have too much and my mildly pessimistic prediction is uh, is 3-2 for Napoli. Okay, well, I'll take that certainly. I have Napoli winning 2-1. to one. I, I mean, I do like that we'll be more rested. I'm going to have a little bit of fun, though, with how the match is going to play out. I'm going to say Cavada opens the scoring, Luka Jovic equalizes, and then I'm going to give Cholito Simeone the winner off the bench, only because I think he owes us that much after he ruined our Scudetto hopes when he scored a tripleta for your Fiorentina back in 2018. And the law of the X, it's guaranteed I'd forgotten you had him, so he's bound to score. That's given me a good betting tip for the weekend. Get Get that on your coupon or get it on your app. Find out what's the what's your best price? What's your best price for Simeone to score? Because sure as shooting, I mean, I do this every week, um, and maybe you're the same. When I see the opposition team line up and they've got one of our old players either you know in the starting eleven or on the bench, and my head's in my hands because I just think you know. I mean, even Kevin Agudelo scored against Fiorentina. You know, people that people that never score a goal in their whole career come up for you know when they face their old club it just seems that law of the x is is definitely a, a strong thing so yeah no that's good as well as predictions there's your there's your betting tip for the weekend get your money on on Simeone to <laughs> any any time goal scorer against Fiorentina there you go well it took a VAR review to take away Andrea Patania's goal against us so the, the the law of the x definitely holds true using my bet stamp app i can see that the best odds in my region at least on the money line I can get Napoli for plus 122 at Caesars. And, you know, we've both kind of picked the over three goals, uh, two high scoring squads. You can get the best odds at Coolbet at minus 135. Giancarlo, any final thoughts before we wrap up the pod? No, I just, I mean, I just, I hope Napoli's good season continues. I mean, apart from this weekend, because they've been, I love watching Fiorentina, but I love watching good football as well. And, you know, that's really what Napoli have been providing in these early weeks of the season. And I think I said to you the last time that I was on, I like to see someone outside of the usual suspects challenging for the Scudetto. So, you know, to me, anyone from outside Milan and the black and white half of Turin that can joust for the title is is more than welcome. So as I say, you know, a defeat this weekend, but then you can go on a nice long winning tier after that and keep right up there and in the running for the title. And I can uh, attest that you're not just saying that because you're on a Napoli show, because I don't miss an episode of the Rigore podcast, and you and your cousin Marco, who hosts the podcast with you, say quite often that you'd love to see someone outside of those three uh, win the Scudetto. So that's where we're going to leave it. Giancarlo, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is mine. You can find Giancarlo on Twitter at Ginkers, and you can find the Rigore podcast at Rigore Pod. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Fortunapoli Pod. I will be back next week to review this match and to preview our first of about 78 games in the next few months, which is a midweek fixture against Lecce. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre.
Social Podcast Network.